Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Tonight I'm I'm going to continue with this message that I've entitled The Greatest Commandment. And we're going to be looking uh, from, from the book of Mark, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for Sister Claudia. She is a blessing to us. Amen. This is my fuel, okay? All righty. Praise the Lord. We've been looking at Mark chapter 12 and in specifically the latter part of Mark chapter 12, around verse 30 or so. And we'll read that in just a minute. But it was said to love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. It's an all-consuming and all-encompassing task. It is no lukewarm endeavor because it is a total commitment of our very being physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to the love of the Lord. Amen? To love God means that we love Him with every facet of our being, every part of our life. Amen? And so how many of you love the Lord tonight? How many of you are grateful for Jesus? Amen? We're grateful for the Lord. Amen? And last week we spoke about uh, and spoke on loving the Lord with all of our heart. Amen? We, we looked at from the text and we looked at loving the Lord from all of our heart and what that looks like. And we learned in order to love God, we first have to love Jesus. Amen. In order to love God, we first have to know what the picture of love is, and that's his son, Jesus Christ, the one who inhabits our heart. And I pray tonight that uh, if you, uh, I pray that we're all born again, but if we're not, I pray in Jesus' name that, you know, those of you that might not be, that could be listening to my voice tonight, that in Jesus' name that you would surrender your heart and your life to the Lord. But for the next few moments, I want to speak to you from the second area that the Lord is commanding us to love him from. And so if you have your Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. And the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And everybody say it with me. And with all of your soul. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. I love that DJ opened up with Psalms 34 and, and he, he talked about the soul. That means I, he knows where we're going tonight, and the Holy Spirit knows where we're going tonight, and God knows where we're going tonight. And we're talking about the soul. According to Vine's Expository Dictionary, the word heart came to stand for a man's entire mental or moral activity, both rational and emotional elements of a person. This is from the heart. It includes emotions and it includes reason. Heart and soul, though, are completely different words. Both represent something that's inner, immaterial part of man as separate from his physical body. The soul is literally the breath of life, which God breathed into man to make him a living being. And so the word for soul in Hebrew is nefesh, and it literally means breath. I'll say it again. The Hebrew word for the word soul in this text is nefesh. It means breath. 
animals as well as human beings were created with this life breath as a gift from God. Every single being that is created, both human and animal alike, were breathed into by God and then they became alive. Amen. Every single one of us came into being because the breath of God entered into our life and all of a sudden we became alive. And so to fully grasp the weight of that Hebrew word nefesh, we need to return to the beginning of scripture and God called the world into being with the power of his word. Amen. How many of you remember in Genesis chapter one, the Bible says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. The very spoken word of God is the most powerful thing that we can see that, that takes place, you know, from God. Because it was the very spoken word of God that holds the stars in their place. Amen. It's the very spoken word of God that, that keeps our planet in perfect orbit. Not too close to the sun and not too far away. Not too close that we would burn up and not too far away that we would freeze and die. The spoken word of God has the power to sustain all things in perfect order. So when God speaks, church, it's a very powerful, powerful instance. And when he breathed into man, he, he breathed into the soul of man that was made in the likeness of himself. And he breathed into the soul of man. And there was a covenant that was made in that moment from God to his creation. There was a covenant that was formed in that moment. In that word, Nefesh, it highlights the weight and the worth of a covenant. That is the promises that God makes to his children. They are significant. They are important because God has made life significant and important. How many of you know that the Lord values life? Amen. God values life. God values life so much that God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. You can't tell me that, 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 that every created being by God, each one that he had formed and called by name, and, and he knows, the Bible says, I, I read that scripture the other day, that he knows the number of hairs that we have on our head or those that we have left. <laughs> but this very one, that knows every part of your being and your DNA, every part of your existence, he values life. So much so that it, it could only come from him. So much so that it would only come from his breath that would form man and make him come alive. Genesis 2 and verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then man became a living being. So the breath of life is how our soul came to be. Our soul didn't exist until God breathed upon it. Amen. You weren't just like floating out, you know, in the outer space of, of the world, you know, just kind of minding your own business. And then all of a sudden you, you encounter God. No, no, no. You were nothing 
You were dust. You were a pile of dirt until God breathed life into you. Amen. Think about that just for a second. We were nothing until he made us something. We were immovable. We didn't have emotion. We didn't have life until he gave it to us. Life is a gift from God. There's this awesome connection between our soul, nefesh, and our creator. In the New Testament, the term for soul is actually a Greek word named psyche. And that word is often translated as life. Mark 10 and 45 says this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give what? His life as a ransom for many. Acts chapter 20 verse 24 says, Paul is speaking. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. He said, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. There was a more important matter at hand for the life of Paul. He said his life wasn't worth anything to himself. It wasn't anything for him to, to take pride in. It wasn't anything for him to, you know, look and say, look at all the plaques that I have on the wall. Look at all the books of the New Testament that I've written. Paul was like saying, no, 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 my life is actually worth nothing to me, but it's very valuable to God. Because there's an assignment that's attached to my life that God has preordained and he has destined my life to fulfill. How many of you know that we are called by the living God? Amen. He has an assignment, he has a destiny, and he has a purpose for your life. So our life, we can consider it nothing. Our life can be considered nothing as long as it's aimed and it's purposed for the will and the work of God. And so that weight and worth of the covenant that God has made between us, which is his creation, and him and his promises is very big. It's very significant. Because the God of this universe, church, who spoke the world into being, has formed our soul with his very breath. I'll say it again. You and I would be a pile of dust right now had you not been breathed upon by a living God. Had we not been breathed into by the one who is the creator. We were nothing until the creator, not the created. Let me say that again. We were nothing until the creator, not the created. You see, God is not a figment of man's imagination. Amen. God is not a created being that we just made up so that people could show up to a building and we could talk to them, you know, for a few thousand years and, and hopefully fill their hearts with hope. No, no, no. My friend, he was and is and will always be. Amen. That is, he wasn't created. We're the ones who were created. Amen. Think about that for a second. When we realized that we were the ones that were formed, we came out of the manufacturing plant of heaven. And you were designed and you were formed and you were, you know, you know, brought upon the face of this earth. And because we were brought into this earth and we have this plan, think about it just for a second. The created is very often very defiant towards the creator. We're the ones that, that, that challenge God. Well, Pastor Duke, how do we challenge God? By not obeying his will. By not listening to his word. 
by getting a little uncomfortable and a little angry when the Lord asks something of us. That's challenging the creator, is it not? That's the one who's formed. It's looking at the one who formed them and going, I don't want to do that, God. I'll never forget when my girls were, were really little and, and uh, you know, they began, you know, first crawling and then walking and starting to talk and, you know, say their own little words and their little language. I'll never forget, you know, one of the first times that I discovered that, you know, they were real and they were a little human. And it's when uh, I think I asked my, well, she, my oldest daughter now, I asked her to do something and she like defied me. And this little kid that couldn't even like say the words that, you know, were probably, you know, in her little mind, she's just like, eh, you know, and I'm like, what? I'm looking at my child thinking like, hold on a second. And I remember that saying that sometimes parents say, you know, I brought you into this world. Don't, don't think that I can take you out of it. You know, I remember thinking, looking at my little child that was defiant because she didn't want to eat her vegetables or whatever the case was. And thinking just for a second, like, wow, how is it that she would defy her parents, you know, the, the, the people that God used to, to bring her into this planet? But what's crazy is, like, we're not God. And how much more people in society and generations and, 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 and countries and nations and cities are so defiant to the living God. They shake their fists at heaven and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bend my will to submit to you, God. I'm not going to believe in what your word says. I'm not going to conform to what your word says. You have to conform to me. But see, here's the thing is when the created speaks to the creator that way, then guess what? We're not serving a living God. We have created a God for ourselves. We have created a God for ourselves. That we have shaped and, and manufactured and, and fashioned, if you will, to do for us instead of us submit to him. Amen? There's a big difference. And so the Lord knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. And the very same God who formed us from dust and has made us come alive is the very same God who sent his son to give up his life as a perfect sacrifice for you and me. Not only did he give up his life, he gave up his will, he gave up his desires, everything to serve the created. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus didn't live as he wanted, but he lived rather in submission and in complete submission to the one who beheld the power to resurrect his life. What a picture for us to understand and to see what true submission is. And what loving God with all of our soul actually looks like. Jesus, the Bible teaches us, ultimately chose to lay his life down to become the payment for sin. Amen? To become the payment for sin and sacrifice his life for ours. When Paul said that his life wasn't worth anything to him, it was in the sense of his personal desires, but rather it was ultimately given to fulfill the task of testifying the good news of the grace of God. 
It was so there was a mission behind the life that he was given and the life that, that, that God had breathed into him. And that is this, is that is that every man and woman that has ever walked this earth, every single formed pile of dirt can only do so because there is a God that loves them unconditionally. There is only the ability to fulfill the will of God and submit ourselves to God because we are the ones who were created by the creator. And the Lord desires so much so that his creation church would be restored back to himself from death to eternal life in Christ Jesus. This has been the plan of God ever since the garden. To restore us back to him. Because how many of you remember that scripture in the book of Romans that says the wages of our sins is what? It's death. The cost of our sin is death. The cost of our sin is death, but the gift of God. The gift of God is what? It's life. It's eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. How many of you know that Jesus is not dead? Amen? Jesus is not dead in a tomb underground or buried in a rock. Jesus is alive. Acts chapter 1 verse 3, I love this verse. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself. He presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He was alive and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Did you know, church, that the word of God is alive? Amen. Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and it's active. That means that the word of God just doesn't speak, it does. Amen. The word of God isn't just saying something, it's actually Doing something in our life, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. My point is this, is everything that God breathes upon comes to life. Everything that he does. But even though every person was made alive through God and created to serve God and live our life for God, God's breath, listen to me carefully, does not affect the decisions of our soul. I'll say that one more time. Even though God has breathed life into every human being, whether they choose to believe in him or not, whether they want to serve him or not, or submit themselves to him or not, even though they realize that they were created to serve a living God and live their life in submission to God, his breath does not affect the decisions of their soul. In other words, the above examples that I'm giving you showcase the depth of God's love for mankind. He loved us so much, church, that he would even allow us to have our own will. You see, if, if God was, was what a lot of people believe that he is, that he would just create us to be these automatic robots that would just love him back. But how many of you know that love is a choice? Amen. We choose to love him. We choose to submit to him. 
We choose Jesus. We choose to give our life and lay our life down in submission to him. And so his law and his commandments, they are instructions to preserve life, not to take it away. How many know that, that there is freedom in the word of God? Amen? The Bible says who the son sets free is what? Is free indeed. You see, a lot of times people think that if, I, if they become a, a follower of Jesus, if they become a Christian, if they submit to themselves to God, oh, all of a sudden it's all these rules. Oh, I can't do this anymore, and I can't do that anymore, and I can't go to the places that I used to go or say the, pla- say the things that I used to say. But actually, true freedom is found in submitting to the Son. True freedom is coming to the one that has the ability to break every chain of oppression off of your life. You being able to choose that on your own. That's true freedom. And the commandment is this. The the word of God gives this blueprint of how we are to love the Lord in return. And the commandment is this, that we are to love him with all of our nefesh. That is with all of our life and with all of our soul and with all of our very being. This is the commandment that he's asking of us. So my question for you today is this, is if you never spoke another word, if you never uttered another word from your mouth, would the way that you live your life today reveal God's glory to the world? Hmm. You see, if you didn't have an opportunity to explain yourself or an opportunity to explain why it is the, the, what you believe in and all of those things, but all people could see or read or know about your life was just what they could see, would it reveal the glory of God to this world? Is your nefesh a reflection of your creator? Is your soul a reflection of the one who created it? Psalms 19 gives us a, a wonderful picture. Verse 1, it says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, though, and they use no words, and no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all of the earth and their words to the ends of the world. I love that scripture in the New Testament that talks about how everything that has been created reveals the glory of God so that man is without excuse. Amen? Have you heard that verse before? Uh, Well, I'll, I'll give you the reference later. But it talks about how there is no excuse that men could possibly find in this life or in this world because God has made it plain to them that he exists. He's made it very clear, very plain, very out in the open. But the difference is those people, the created being, will either choose to deny the truth and die or receive the truth and so live. There's life in the truth. Amen? There's life in the word of God. But the question of the hour, I say, is if the heavens declare his glory, and if the skies proclaim the work of his hands, if what God has created is speaking of his faithfulness, then those who have been born again and bought with the blood of Jesus... 
and transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. These Bible-reading and believing saints of God should be doing the exact same thing. We should be doing the exact same thing as all of creation. Our life, church, your life is saying something. Your life is saying something to someone at any given moment. Every part of us is speaking whether we realize it or not. Amen? Every part of our being is, is saying something to this world. And so the, the, the question that I want us to ask ourselves is, is it reflecting that someone that has called us from darkness into his marvelous light? Is it reflecting the one of who you know? Is the imprint of the hand of God upon your soul so strong that everybody, when they come in contact with you, they see the living God? Think about that. Think about that, church. Think about that. Are we so marked with the presence of the Holy Spirit that when we walk into a room, people know that God has walked into a room. You see, I've been around men and women of God like that. They walk into the room and feel the presence of God. You know the Lord's upon their life. Why? You see the fruit, amen? You see the grace in which they walk, the power, the authority in which they walk, the humility in which they walk. And you see those things and you can't help but notice that the spirit of the living God is upon their life. Amen. And the world is looking right now for people that will actually be who they say they profess to be. They would actually bear the fruit of the living God in their life. And so I'll ask this question tonight. What does loving the Lord with all of our soul look like? What is loving him with all of our soul? What does it look like? Loving God with all of our soul means that we obey him in his word. Amen? I know that's not this great point of revelation for us tonight. Because we might think like, oh, Pastor Duke, you have to give me something else that's, that's more catchy than that. But the scripture is simply defined in, from the book of John. Jesus said this in John 14 and verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. That's what loving him looks like. Amen. If you love me, keep my commands. See, loving Jesus is living out his word and not our will. Amen. Loving him is living out his word and not our will. Second John 1.6 says this, And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. We walk in obedience to the commands of the Lord. When the scripture was first given in Deuteronomy chapter 6, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul, in Deuteronomy 11, it talks about just simply obeying the statutes of God. Obeying what the Lord has said for your life. Obeying what he's asking of us. Whether it was meditating on the word day and night. Whether it was simply walking, you know, in the spirit and not in the flesh. Whatever it is that the Lord is asking from our life, this is what we are to do because this is what love looks like. 
Remember, love is not just something that we say, it's something that we do. Amen. In James, you, you remember that scripture, but, the, but it says, do not deceive yourself and think that we could just be those that hear the word of God and we don't obey it. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to not only be hearers of the word, but what? Doers of the word as well. Doers of the word. John chapter 14 and verse 21. Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Whoever has these commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. You see, it's from the place of our souls that we will either fulfill our will or submit our will to God's will. This transaction happens in your soul. I'm going to talk about the mind next week, but I have to have us understand this. This happens from our soul, from the place of our soul. This is the place where those decisions are made. Where every day when you wake up and you want to do what you want to do, you must bring your soul under submission to God. You must say, Lord, not my will. Yet your will be done. And not what I want, God. What I want, you know, may seem right to me. What does that scripture say? It says, you know, the plans of a man may seem right to him, but his steps are ordered by the Lord. There's an ordained plan of God for your life. And guess what? In order to fulfill the plan that the Lord has for you, we must submit ourselves to him. As based on these decisions, we will either be pleasing to the Lord or we will be prideful. The ultimate act of humility is submitting your soul to the Lord. I believe that is one of the ultimate acts of humility that you and I can make. Because what are you doing? You as the created are looking up to the creator and saying, Lord, I'm all yours. I'm not going to do anything on my own. I'm not going to do anything outside of what you want for me, Lord. But I'm submitting all of myself to you. I'm holding nothing back. You know that the Lord is pleased when we've chosen to keep the Father's word more than our will. You see, that pleases the heart of the Father. It pleases the heart of the Father when he's said something and guess what? You obeyed. You did it. For those of us that are parents, I think we, we probably take no greater joy than when our children listen. Amen? It's a wonderful thing to, to have children. It's a beautiful thing. It's a great responsibility as well. But one of the most rewarding things that a child can do for a parent is just simply to listen. Just simply to listen. It brings parents so much joy. To know that the very thing that you're instilling in your child, whether it be the truth from the word of God, when they listen to that. I tell my girls, I'm like, you know, I, I was talking to my older one the other day and we were talking about prayer. And I, I was asking her about her prayers and certain things that she was asking of the Lord. And, and she was just telling me, she was like, Daddy, you know, I pray every night and, and this is what I pray for. And she was kind of just sharing things with me, and I, I gave her some more things that I wanted to pray for, and she started to pray for him. And that makes me proud as a parent. 
I can't help but say, wow, like, it's working. She's getting it. She, she knows. And when the Lord looks at us as his children, he becomes so proud of you. He becomes so proud of me. Not just in the, in the sense of like, yay, good job, but, but more so in the sense because it ultimately results in the fulfillment of his will in this earth. Amen? The end result is that you will do what the Father is asking of you. And that's what pleases the Father. Amen? And this is exactly what Jesus displayed for us. A life that shows ultimate submission and humility to fulfill the Father's plan. Philippians chapter 2, we know this verse. Verse 8 says this, Being found in the appearance as a man, this is speaking of Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Lord has an interesting way of revealing his plans to us. Amen? He doesn't show us like the whole thing. Amen? What does he tell you? He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. I, you know, I don't know if you're going to have to cross the Jordan River or go through a Red Sea or, or you know, get attacked by some crazy army. He's like, don't worry about tomorrow. Just trust me today. Amen? And when you just trust him and you just fix your eyes on Jesus and you just walk with him every single day, you, 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 you don't have any time to think ahead and look, look about tomorrow. I love that verse in the book of James, I believe it is, and it talks about like planning and future, and it says, oh, you know, you're going to go to this city, and you're going to do business there, and you're going to do this with your life, and all this stuff, and he said, you shouldn't be asking any of those things, you should just simply be asking what God's will is for your life, and when we get too far ahead, sometimes we lose sight of all of that, but here's the, the point that I was trying to make to you, and that is this, is that when we get so far ahead in our thinking, we lose sight of what his will is for the day. So he wants us to serve him here and now presently in the moment for the day. But the Lord has this awesome way of not showing too much. Because if the Lord showed us everything that was going to happen in our life, all of the ups and downs, all of the trials, all of the afflictions, all of the persecution, all of those things, a lot of us might get afraid and run away. Amen. If we knew that the cross was going to be the end of our life, many of us would be like, no, nah, I don't know if I could do that. The cross, Jesus? Dying? Are you kidding me? There's no way I could do that. And we would automatically want to retract. But when we serve him daily and we love him daily and we give ourselves to him on a daily basis, we just follow what he's, he's leading us to. And ultimately, if it ends up being the cross, then so be it. We could say like Paul said, he said, you know, that his to be absent in the body was to be present with the Lord. He knew that if he would be persecuted or one day killed for his faith, then he knew that it would ultimately result in him being in the presence of God. So he wasn't worried about what the tomorrow was. Amen? And this is what loving, our, uh, loving God from our soul looks like, saying, yet not my will, but your will be done. Francis de, de, de Sales said this, several times during the day, but especially in the morning and evening, 
Ask yourself for a moment if you have your soul in your hands. Or if some passion or some fit of anxiety has robbed you of it. He said, if you've gone astray, then quietly bring your soul back to the presence of God and subjecting all of your affections and desires to the obedience and the direction of his divine will. What this man is saying is this, is that if some goal or some accomplishment or something that you desire for your life has become what you long for, then the fulfillment of it will leave you empty. The fulfillment of, 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 of acquiring that thing or achieving that thing, it will ultimately leave you empty because the successes that you chase after and that I chase after in this world will never be able to fill the God-sized space in your soul. Amen. Only Jesus could fill that space. I'll say that again. Only the Lord can fill the space of our soul. Your soul is precious to the Lord. Your soul was made for him and is for his glory and not for our own. We have to understand to not take the enemy's bait or the devil's bait to sell our soul because this can be done. Did, have you ever heard of that? Somebody selling their soul to the devil. We've heard of that before. And I have to give us warning tonight to not take the bait of Satan to give your will over to him in exchange for what he offers. What does that look like? Don't seek to gain power or wisdom or popularity or money or anything other than a relationship with the Savior of your soul. Stephen Smith said this, we could prostitute our very soul in an attempt to be successful. We could sell out, cave in, and go morally bankrupt chasing the God of success. Knowing this perilous potential, Jesus himself warns us that we can lose our soul by too much gaining. Saying in Matthew 26, he said, uh, 16 verse 26, he said, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What's he saying? What can you ever trade your soul for that would be better than him? He said, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. According to what they have done. There's a few instances in Scripture where we actually see the enemy trying to pull this off. And in one particular instance, in Matthew chapter 4, many of you remember this. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. And after Jesus fasted, after he had spent time with the Lord, after this was at the very beginning, he had just been baptized and he's now fasting for 40 days. This is now the beginning of his public ministry for the next three and a half years. He is fasting and the enemy comes and the first thing that he does is he tries to tempt him by, by turning some stones into bread. Right? Because that sounds like a pretty good plan. Jesus has obviously got to be really hungry after 40 days. Some of us can't last 40 minutes without a snack. <laughs> he went 40 days. And the first thing that the enemy says is, hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn those stones into bread? I asked the question, could Jesus turn stones into bread? 
Yes, he could. But was it the Father's will? No, it wasn't. See the way that works? He had the authority to do it. He had the power to do it. But he didn't have the green light from the Father in heaven. Some of us have had the authority to do a lot of stuff. Some of us maybe have the influence or we have the Holy Spirit living in our life. You operate under the power of the living God. But here's the deal. Did God give you the green light or not? Amen. So Jesus is there and he goes on to say, I believe it's verse 8. The enemy takes Jesus up to a high place and he says, look. See all that? See all the territories and the kingdoms and all these things? He said, all these things, all these things I'll give you. All these kingdoms, I'll give them to you if you would just bow down and worship me. If you would just bow down, Jesus, and worship me. And to this very day, church, I have to say this. The enemy still promises kingdoms powers, territories, and more, not only for his worship, but ultimately to commit the theft of the souls of men and women. It's very sad to see, uh, you know, television is just uh, horrible, <laughs> to say the least. That's the nicest way I could say it. But what's even worse is to see the millions of people that actually idolize certain people that are made known on television or through media and through, you know, popularity and fame. A lot of them being musicians and singers and actors and people that have, you know, all kinds of money. And then you actually see when the mask is taken off. You see people that have risen to just great heights. They, they literally have millions of followers on social media, and, and there's, you know, teenagers and people that, you know, just, you know, literally worship the ground that they walk on. But then when they pull the mask off and you see what's behind, what's driving them and what's gotten them to the place that they're at of notoriety and popularity, you see that they've clearly sold their soul to Satan. They've clearly forfeited the one thing that God had given them that they had a decision over. And they said, you know what? Wouldn't be a bad idea to be nice and popular or to have all kinds of money or all kinds of fame. And they give that thing over and then all of a sudden they become a worshiper of Satan himself. If you remember the scripture, you know what the scripture teaches us. What does the Bible say? The enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I need to remind us just for a second tonight, every single one of us is a soul. You don't have a soul, you are a soul. Is that clear? We are souls. And guess what? Everybody out there is a soul. And the enemy is working very fast to try to snatch the souls of men in this time and in this season that we are living. And if we are not careful, church, if we are not understanding what is actually happening before our eyes, then we will lose sight of the very thing that God holds so precious, and that is the souls of men, the souls of women. John 6 and 39 says this, and this 
is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those that he has given me, but I will raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. You see, that's very comforting to those of us whose soul belongs to Jesus. Amen? See, when your soul belongs to the Lord, that's one of the most beautiful promises that you can read in Scripture. To know that no matter what happens in this life or in this world, to know that the Lord will raise you up on that last day. Amen. To know that you are held in the, in the grip of the Father. Amen. Held in the grip of the Son. And those that believe on the Lord, the Lord will raise you up. But I want us to consider one last thing. What about the souls that don't know him? I say this. If your soul belongs to Jesus, then go and do likewise. What does that mean? That means live out the Father's will. That means to do what Paul said, and that is to preach the good news of the grace of God. To preach the gospel of the crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And if your soul belongs to the Lord, then show the world that your soul belongs to the Son of God. Live out the will of the Father. Because loving him isn't just saying it, it's doing it. It's being obedient to what the Lord is asking of us. And being obedient looks like caring for what the Lord cares for. One of the most challenging things that I would say is this, and that I see rather is the response of the heart of people that say they belong to Jesus, but yet don't rejoice with what God rejoices with. What do I mean? When a soul gives their heart to the Lord, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices. That there's a celebration in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 that are left behind. There's this glorious party in heaven celebration that happens when a soul comes back to the Lord. Like they know that, like that's it. I don't know if there's any other scripture in the Bible that says that heaven rejoices and celebrates and throws a party for anything else except for when souls repent and come to Jesus. But if we love him, then we should love what he loves, yes? And so when a soul comes to Jesus, should we not rejoice? Amen. You see, when somebody repents and they give their heart to Jesus, that should move our heart too. It should cause us to rejoice and want to 
run a lap around the church and want to scream and shout and want to tell somebody about what Jesus has just done. Again, he has saved another soul. Amen. And I would challenge us tonight to look within our hearts because this is all about loving him. Amen. This is all about loving him and loving him well. To look within our hearts and say, Lord Jesus, does my soul love what you love? Does my soul love your will more than my own? Does my very soul love Jesus, just the the things that you're asking of me more than the things that I want for myself? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org slash give.